Welcome to the ProfServe Traction Podcast, dedicated to exploring how professional services and technology businesses break through the ceiling. Here's your host, Steve Prada. All right. So, uh, so welcome uh, to the next epi- episode of the ProfServe Traction Podcast. And uh, my name is Steve Prada. I'm the host uh, of this podcast, and I'm very excited to have Nick Beavers, uh, as a guest uh, uh, to our podcast, Nick is the CEO of uh, Media Cybernetics, which is a technology uh, business. And um, I'm not going to, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to spill the beans here. I'm going to let him explain a little bit about his business and about his story. So welcome, Nick. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Steve. Awesome. So uh, tell us a little bit about, uh, like, like give us a, a short introduction to Media Cybernetics. And uh, I, you know, I'd really like you uh, to share with your audience your story. How did you end up being a business owner, uh, an entrepreneur, and uh, growing uh, a business in a very exciting niche? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Media Cybernetics is a scientific software company that uh, has been in business since 1981. And uh, it has a very rich history of providing solutions for uh, researchers and those who are doing uh, industrial inspection routines. Uh, It's a software package that is able to take images from uh, microscopes or just digital cameras in general uh, and helps people to very easily create a quantitative measurement uh, from just an image. The, the tagline of the company is from images to answers. And I think it fits perfectly for, you know, what we were able to do. Um, you know, I have a, I have a, a very, uh, at least I think, uh, a bizarre way of becoming the CEO of MediaSci. Um, both my parents came from broken homes. They were dirt poor. Uh, my father ended up in the hospital on numerous occasions with malnutrition as a, a child and young man. Uh, my mother was the oldest of eight and was in a household with no father. They were below the poverty line. Um, so many sad stories of, you know, she had two outfits to wear to school and she was always creatively trying to figure out how to uh, make it look like she didn't have two outfits to avoid the kids making fun of her. Um, my father ended up going into mechanical field and been a plumber my entire life. My, my mother ended up working for a while as a, an admin for an insurance agent. And um, I was their firstborn. Um, but I ended up having a brother who was a year younger than I was, who was born with a rare disease. He had a, a deficiency of, of iron and, and uh, it really impacted our life. Unfortunately, the disease took his life at eight years old and I'm, I was nine. And, and events like that, they, they change you. They, um, I think it forced me to be a bit more mature as a younger child. And, and as I move through life, I, I got to say that it really does fuel you to want to make the most of life. I, I think for my parents as well, it changed them. And as they raised me, they raised me to be very um, aware of other people and how to make sure you're taking into consideration others, uh, not to take for granted the things that you do and not take for granted uh, what you have. And uh, I think for those reasons, you know, at least through a good portion of my life, I've, I've had the desire to competitively try to excel in anything I did. I wanted to make the most of the opportunity I have and what I was given. 
Um, I, I was the kid who always had the lemonade stand. Um, <laughs> I washed every car in the neighborhood and charged them probably twice what I should have. Um, and when I'm just a teenager, I started my own business. Um, you know, I'll never forget sitting there, not having a clue what I was doing, but, you know, paying these very small, small taxes every year. Uh, everything was handwritten and snail mail. And uh, I, I, I sold paintball equipment to my friends. We were addicted to the game of paintball and, and I ended up eventually even oddly enough playing for the University of Maryland on their club team and traveling around the, the nation playing other colleges. But uh, I, I always found a way, as I look back on it, I think it's funny that I found a way to make a business out of almost everything I did. And I, when I, met, I went, met my wife at the University of Maryland when we went there and I've always told her, you know, I want to own my business. I want to, I want to create something. I've always had this passion to create things. And, um, it's, it's just, you know, it's funny how I think that the younger years have fueled me to this point where I don't think about it a lot, but I think it, it really formed, you know, um, the mentality I have where I want to be successful. I want to, I want to succeed. I want to build something. I want to create a great team. And, um, as I was at the University of Maryland, with that in mind, and not sure really how to apply it, I thought to myself, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a doctor. I'm going to do something. I'll have a practice. I'll, I'll be a dentist, maybe. I don't know. I wasn't sure. I wanted to do something in the sciences. Uh, so I got a, a Bachelor of Science in Neurophysiology from the University of Maryland and uh, was going down that path when I realized that it wasn't for me. I sought the, in, more intensely each of those, those fields. Um, and I just discovered I wasn't meant for the lab. I wasn't meant for, um, kind of a dental practice or, a, or you know, uh, any kind of, a, a doctor internship, it just, it wasn't me. Um, so I was searching for what it was that I wanted to do. And, and I was in the laboratory in the university of Maryland working, uh, for the chair of the department doing microscopy work and, uh, it just so happened that as I was doing the microscopy work and I was doing a part-time job building computers at a, at a company in Annapolis, Maryland, uh, I, I stumbled upon a job opportunity with a local company, Media Cybernetics, who was a software development company making software for microscopes. <clears throat> and I said, wow, this, this sounds actually perfect for me. I, I think I'll actually fit in here pretty well. So I started the job as a technical services representative. I, I was the guy who answered the phones when somebody had a problem with the software. Um, it, it was incredibly challenging, but very fulfilling. <clears throat> the company was this really exciting company who, who did really impressive technical types of uh, application uh, in, in terms of image analysis. It was, it was unique. They had all these different techniques that not a lot of people had. They were cutting edge in a lot of areas. Um, however, they were, when I joined, they had just gone through a couple of restructuring rounds. Uh, they had only a few years had been acquired by a larger holding company and, and it was challenging. So I, I found that I, I was always looking at this as a temporary job. Uh, and I said, you know, I'll, I'll learn as much as I can here and then move on and build my resume. Every two years or so though, uh, it was funny, Steve, I, I, it almost became like clockwork where I just found myself always being promoted into a role with more responsibility every two years. And I did product management, I did applications, I did sales, I did uh, business development. And in all of those roles, I learned a little bit more and a little bit more about the company. 
And uh, fast forward 12 years of me thinking, I'm just building the resume and I'm just learning and gathering as much as I can. And I became the president of the company uh, in 2019. And uh, by coming, becoming the president, I took on a much larger role, obviously. And uh, at the end of 2019, uh, the, the holding company wanted to change their strategy and move in a different direction. And we're seeking a buyer for the company to, uh, to no longer be involved in imaging. Uh, and I just looked at it as a great opportunity to fulfill my lifelong dream of, of owning a company and building something. I have a passion for what we do. Uh, we have an amazing team. And I thought, gosh, it, you know, it makes sense that I, I love what I do. I love the company. I love the people we, we all have here. I want to do this for as long as possible and, and see it grow into what I believe it can be. And so um, just as of January of this year, uh, made the leap and we came to an agreement and became the owner of Media Cybernetics in January. And, and you know, seven months later, we're, we're moving forward and doing really well. And I'm uh, very excited about our upcoming future as well. So um, definitely, you know, a, a story that I, I'm very proud of and at the same time never thought I'd be telling. Yeah, it's a very exciting story and um, you know, I'm kind of proud of, we had this conversation probably last September, August, September, and you were really at the point of, uh, shall I invest time in uh, looking for, for a capital investor, uh, venture capital, and, right. uh, and I really felt like this is your time. Uh, the owners, they want to uh, sell this business and probably it's not their biggest priority to get the highest price. They just want to make sure it's in the right hands and, and go for it. Yeah. And, you know, take the jump and, and you did it. I'm, I'm so proud of you uh, to, have, uh, to have done that. So what, what have been uh, some of the challenges? Uh, I mean, even as a managing director, before you, pre you were president, you were kind of running the business already. Um, then right. you became the president. Now you're uh, the owner, CEO of the company. What were some of the challenges that you had to overcome in order to be able to be successful in, in running this and growing this business? For me, I, I think as the general manager before president and president, I think the challenges were pretty similar in that um, before we became private, my biggest challenge was really I think corporate culture. It was um, it was a bit challenging navigating uh, this mentality of, of a large holding company, the way that they wanted to run the business, the way that they wanted to run the financials, their expectations of uh, consistent operating profit, uh, no investment really back into the company, but just consistency in operation. And uh, it was challenging for a company that when I kind of took over as the, uh, the general manager, we were, we were, creating great products. And uh, I think we had a really good roadmap ahead of us. We were making things happen, but uh, with such a long legacy behind us, we had a lot of trailing revenue that was declining over time. And so we had new ventures that were growing and we had old ventures that were declining. And so it, it, it in every single quarter that we would post our earnings, um, we had this challenge of having to explain how some of these things are, are going away. That's expected. Um, and then we're working really hard without really putting a lot of investment in. Um, doing less with more is what we always like. We heard all the time. How do you do less with more? Um, 
that more, sorry, more with less. <laughs> How do you do more with less? Um, and so we, we ended up doing that, right? We ended up doing a lot more with less. And uh, it, it, turned, it turned out to, to pay off. More recently, and even, you know, in, I think during the general manager times, I feel like the other largest challenge was people management. Uh, most of my career, it was individual contribution without really being part of a larger team, having a lot of responsibility for management. And it wasn't until my last few roles where suddenly, you know, individual contribution isn't as important as building a great team. So there was a learning curve for me. Uh, I think that also, you know, as part of a team where I'd been there for 12 years, you can imagine that, you know, moving up within the company, a lot of people were still there who were there when they first joined. And they looked at me and probably had uh, a difficult time uh, recognizing the position I was in and having to work with this new guy uh, who's, who's now the GM and now the president. Um, so we, we've grown as a, as a team. And uh, I think that the ability to get the right people on the bus, as Jim Collins says, to get the right people in the right seats, that's probably been the largest challenge for me. Um, everything else I, I feel like has really been not as much of a challenge as much as exciting, you know, all the, all the rest of it, the, the strategy for product, the marketing, uh, building great new engineering technology. It's hard, but uh, I found the people management part to be the one that I put the most time and effort into making sure that I, I personally grow in that area to get right. That's, that's a great, uh, great perspective. And building the team is really the key. And how do you transition from being a contributor, then a manager, and then a leader who can actually have uh, accomplished things through other people and basically focus on the culture and how you grow people, how you give them runway so that they can uh, take the company uh, to where you couldn't take it on, on your own is very, very great. So that's, that's a great segue to the next question I, I wanted to ask you, I mean, we were introduced by Debbie Tyler, who is your yeah. chair, right? Debbie, Debbie and I go way back and uh, he is a wonderful uh, coach and uh, a, great, uh, a great friend. Um, and obviously you've been in her Vistage group for several years, so there's gotta be something there mm -hmm. that makes you stick around, right? So my question is, right. who have been your greatest role models that you feel like you benefited from associating with and learning from? Yeah. Well, I, I break it into, uh, you know, I think two parts. Um, I already spoke about, you know, I have great uh, gratitude for, I think, what my, my parents put into me. And so they're my, they're my first role models for sure. My, my father has, well, I, I'd say they both have contributed in my life in a different way. Um, my father's the kind of person who he's, he's very sharp uh, when it comes to uh, understanding a difficult technical problem and being able to come up with a solution. Uh, he, he's an absolute genius in, in so many ways uh, and some of the solutions that he's able to, to come up with. And he's really very, very good at, at actually maintaining and operating at a high level. <clears throat> but from his upbringing, um, one of the things he, he shies away from is taking risks. He shies away from kind of a vision for the future. And he's very comfortable with doing his best work 
and performing at a high level in where he is. Um, whereas my mother's kind of the opposite in, in terms of um, she just loves to dream. She loves to think about the future. She loves to think about what could be. Um, so they're a great complement to each other. They help each other to get through life. And I, you know, I've looked back over time and said, wow, you know, I've t I took a little bit from each of them because I both love to dream and think about what could be. And I also actually kind of enjoy um, getting in the trenches and making sure that the trains are running on time and that operationally we're, we're doing things well. It's, I think I, I lean toward the visionary more than I do the trains running on time, but I find myself pretty comfortably uh, in both roles, uh, which is, I think, a little unique, but we'll see how things go over, over time. Um, as I get, I've gotten you know, into this new role, uh, you mentioned Debbie. Debbie's been a, a wonderful example, and she's helped me through a lot of hard times, uh, helped me to get access to resources that on my own I wouldn't have been able to do. So the Vistage group has been, I think, very beneficial for me, has given me confidence, has helped me to feel like uh, you know, I'm not the only one in this. Uh, I, I like to say all the time a Vistage group is – is almost a uh, it's it's an opportunity for business owners to uh, come together with people and, and have a little bit of a, a psychologist session. <laughs> um, it's it's a lot of time you don't talk about the business as much as you just talk about how you're handling it and how uh, emotionally it's difficult, how you're dealing with the stress and all the things that are happening. Um, a lot of times the people already know uh, what they're going to do. They just don't have the confidence that's the right answer. And sometimes they need kind of that reassurance um, from the team to say, yeah, you're doing the right thing. And I think I needed that quite a bit to make sure I was going the right direction. And I got to be honest, a lot of times as well, I wasn't going the right direction. I got some really critical feedback that helped a lot. Um, not to make you blush, Steve, but I mean, honestly, you've been an excellent role model for me as well here recently. And I think uh, your, your assistance with, uh, you know, working together with us, and implementing EOS and giving me the confidence that uh, we can be successful using the tools we have, uh, using you know the, the resources we have has been very beneficial uh, as well. So um, when I look at the, the recent history, I think it's really important to surround yourself with, with those that not only support you, but also give you that difficult feedback when you need to hear it. It's, uh, it, it definitely makes for uh, a winning combination. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you for that. And for those of you who don't know, EUS stands for the Entrepreneurial Operating System, which is a way to orchestrate all the moving parts of your business and essentially harness the human energy in the business and, uh, and help you implement the major management concepts that will help you run the business much more effectively. Uh, so talking about EOS, I mean, what are the tools that you feel like have been the most beneficial for you in, in uh, growing uh, media cybernetics? Well, you know, it's funny to, I can't really pick one, I don't think. Um, I like them all. Uh, I'd say overall, what has been the best about EOS is just the fact that the whole system itself works together. Um, when I joined the Vistage group uh, a few years ago, I actually asked the question a number of times to the team uh, there and to through the network looking for something. I, I wasn't even sure what to call it, right? I didn't, I didn't even know what I was looking for, but I, I knew I needed something that would handle people management, 
that would help to organize my planning for the future. And I had found a number of resources that handled kind of a, a small percentage of the business management. And I, and I started implementing a few things here and there, and I felt like they were very disjointed from each other. They didn't work together. So the EOS system has, over time, I, I've continued to find as I implement each and every individual tool, uh, it's, they complement each other very well. And that's been very, uh, it's been a big relief for me <laughs> that I, I didn't have to go out and try to figure out how am I going to run this, this area of the business. Um, EOS had a tool for that, right? So I think uh, getting the planning down uh, early on with what's the strategy, um, what's our vision traction organizer look like in terms of where are we headed, how are we going to get there, uh, scorecards for managing the monthly uh, and weekly uh, metrics of the business to make sure everything's going well. It's paid off where as soon as a number goes red, we're able to quickly uh, look into it. And sometimes we find it's a big problem and we have to adjust it right away. Um, the entire team loves the idea of rocks, basically big quarterly projects that you're working on. And what has been become actually kind of fun, I want to say, is that as we early on, it became, it was, it was challenging because we were implementing it and we were transitioning from kind of the, the nomenclature and the, the terminology, the culture of being pre-EOS. And it was a struggle to get into the habit of using the new terminology and everyone being on the same page. But we feel very comfortable right now that when we talk about our rocks, we talk about our level 10 meetings, we talk about the vision traction order, everybody knows what you're talking about. And so we're all talking the same language, which makes communication faster. We're more efficient. Uh, there's less confusion. And we've worked really hard at, at all the tools that we have in EOS. We've placed them in our company internet. Everyone has accessibility to them. And there's a central location where you go to look at what are the rocks for this quarter and how am I personally going to contribute to making sure it gets accomplished. And it's pulled us together. Uh, I think it actually, it has, contributed to building culture and everyone has the same language. Everyone has a similar goal and we're all looking at the same numbers before EOS. We had some, some big challenges of, you know, some individuals wanted to run their departments their way and other individuals wanted to run their departments a different way. And none of them were wrong. It's just, they were different. And by being different, it created these walls between the departments mm -hmm. and it created conflict. Um, so I'm thrilled now that I don't see the conflict anymore. <clears throat> if anything, it, it's brought us closer together because we feel like we're all on the same page. Um, so I mentioned a few of the individual tools, you know, all of them that work together very well, but uh, I don't think I can pick one. <laughs> I wish okay. I could, but I don't think I can. That's yeah. okay. You know, we know that there are five tools which are kind of the 20% that takes care of 80% of the result. There are 20 tools altogether. What's really interesting is that you talk about the language of EOS and how uh, sometimes awkward maybe it feels initially uh, to talk about LMA and, you know, and traction and rocks and scorecard and level 10 meeting. I mean, it sounds very weird, but actually 
US is not a digital system, it's a social system and the language carries the information. And that's, and the reason, there's a reason for having these quirky names for things because you want to uh, differentiate them from other things. We wanted to pick, or Gino wanted to pick names that didn't carry the baggage. So people didn't have the misconceptions around it. If you say vision, you know, it can be so many different things. So I'm talking about the vision of a company, but if you break it down to, okay, what are the core values, the core focus, the 10 year target, it becomes much more tangible. And that was the idea to, okay, let's cut through the confusion. Uh, let's uh, make it really clear what we are talking about um, to, uh, to get that alignment that you're talking about. So that is awesome. Uh, <clears throat> Nick, uh, in terms of this is a podcast about professional services and technology companies and <clears throat> I think you are a little bit of both. Um, and I wonder yeah. um, whether uh, you have any insights as to the peculiarities, peculiarities of a technology business when you're using EOS. And I know that this is kind of a, a bit of a broad question, but um, what do you think uh, is special about uh, media cybernetics? And is there something that you have to approach a little bit differently because you are a technology business? Uh, we, we've, we've definitely had, um, challenge in trying to take our engineering team, uh, who <clears throat> thinks about things in a, a more agile way, um, where we're, we're doing two week sprints on a regular basis, developing uh, new software and trying to envision how a dynamic, fast moving agile team uh, uses EOS effectively. Um, our engineering manager, Pierre Duchesne, uh, has done a phenomenal job. He's, a, he's an excellent partner in all of this, working together with the team. Uh, he, he, he has implemented EOS for the team, and I think he's done a wonderful job helping them to uh, think about uh, the rocks and, and the level 10s in a way that matches up uh, with with this idea of software development being agile. And that was one of the first questions we had was, is it going to fit? Um, we believe it fits perfectly. It, it just, it took us a while to, to understand how it fit. Um, and the, the other aspect I would say is um, the, some of the, the tools initially, the way that they are originally presented, I think maybe are uh, thinking of other businesses with a different structure. And so we found that it, it, it eventually fit. We just had to really think about it. So we had to think about how everything needed to be customized for our business, but still staying within the parameters of EOS. And so I don't feel like we've actually really customized anything to the point where it, it no longer aligns with the EOS model. Uh, we've been using it all, I think, pretty standard. Uh, but we have had to work hard uh, with the tools to, to think through what is unique about our type of, type of industry? Uh, as an example, you know, we are um, we're selling software, at, you know, every day, um, both digitally and you know, shipping product itself. Um, we sell through a distribution model, and so a lot of times the sales of those software products are um, their their subscription, or there's maintenance, or there's uh, you know a sale through a partner that we give margin to. And I think a lot of times it's, it's thinking about a sales team that you directly control 
not so much this, this partner network. And so a lot of times we don't have control directly over our partners. Um, they bring to the table this expertise of the microscope uh, knowledge, right? They're, they're system integrators bringing together digital cameras, microscopes, laboratory equipment, consumables, reagents, and our software. And so they build these systems. Um, so it has been, I think, kind of fun, a fun challenge to apply EOS to um, our, our technical software development and also the, the sales side of it where we're working together with these partners. We still have metrics. Um, they still work very well, but they're not directly related to the end user sometimes. Sometimes they're directly related to uh, the distribution partner uh, and, and how well they're, they're working together to provide the best possible uh, support and training for the end users. Um, so that, that, that's two things that come to mind for us, and we're looking forward to continuing to um, evolve it as we grow and as we uh, expand our business over, the, over time as well. Uh, yeah, so there are two, two things I want to mention here. I really love it that uh, you're a global team because you have uh, you know, sales in Europe, in Asia, and you've got a wonderful partner in Asia, uh, Chandresh uh, Trivedi, who is part of our mm -hmm. US uh, meetings. And he, he's an amazing guy. You know, we start our meeting at 8 a.m., which is already, I think, 7 p.m. in Singapore. And then right. he stays up the hours of the morning to, to uh, stay uh, on our meeting. And he's still engaged at you know, 3 a.m. at his time, which I can't believe uh, yeah. how he does it. Uh, but I don't then, know how he does either. <laughs> He's like a, a human dynamo. So that's, that's uh, really been impressive. Uh, and the way you engaged uh, Chandresh to this whole uh, transition, uh, he, he set up his own business and, and he's a major distributor for you and how you work together. And it's kind of a laboratory for you as well as to what the distributors think and how they, um, they uh, create uh, their own business model, which works so that you can, both of uh, you can be successful. The other thing about Agile that I wanted to mention, and when you, when you brought up the, the idea of, is there an EOS for, for software development? And, and I looked at it and I talked to many of our colleagues. And what dawned on me was that this whole idea of Agile, actually EOS is an Agile system because you start with a 10-year uh, 10 target, and then you break it down into a three-year picture. So actually a 10-year target includes three three-year pictures, consecutive three-year pictures. And then you drill down further to a one-year plan. So you break down the three years into one-year plans, and then you break it further down to quarterly rocks, quarterly themes and quarterly rocks. And then this quarterly rock can be broken down into maybe two-week sprints. So maybe you have like seven mm -hmm. uh, sprints uh, that quarter. Right. It kind of fits in. It's just how do you coordinate uh, the cadence, the two cadences together. So, uh, so, so great. So anything else, any other challenges that you feel like, uh, this is nothing to do with EOS, but what was the biggest thing that you felt like you had to overcome when you, you felt like uh, you know, the sky was falling, you were in the worst possible situation and it was a little bit, looked like hopeless, how are you gonna get out of it? Uh, if you think back on your uh, career, what was the darkest moment that you had and how did you overcome it? Oh, goodness. Um, 
Well, I, I think the darkest moment was um, directly related to uh, a strong transition that we were undergoing as a business. Um, what, what, where we are today is vastly different from where we were, gosh, um, three and a half, four years ago. And it was a bit overwhelming to look at on the surface. Uh, we had through many years of, I hate to say neglect, but I think it's just a lack of leadership. Maybe uh, we had ignored a lot of backend systems that were aging the cost of replacing the systems to be competitive, to be efficient, to be able to get the reports that we needed, to be able to do things without uh, enormous effort for things that really shouldn't be so difficult uh, was, was really painful. Uh, it wasn't just one, it was, it was four and five different systems. Uh, we were also really struggling to transition from a 32-bit image analysis package that we had been very successful with, very, very successful with for many years. Uh, and we had transitioned and said, we're no longer going to be promoting our 2-bit package. We're, we're moving our entire customer base over to the 64-bit package. Um, you know, people don't like change. <laughs> so even our existing customers and partners, uh, all of our resellers, uh, they resisted it very, very strongly. And, uh, at the same time, we were finding that uh, we just continuously were had less and less resources. So we were faced with probably some of the largest challenges to both internally adjust and change everything about the way our back office functions, to externally change the products that we're offering. Uh, we were rapidly losing very large distribution partners who had, I, I really do, you know, say it was, it was a bit of two different uh, reasons for this. <clears throat> they were leaving us because one, they had innovated and exceeded where we were. Uh, and secondly, we had not been innovative at the speed that the market demanded. Um, most of that came from just the challenges of undergoing a huge ownership transition uh, from private to being owned by a large corporation. Um, and they, they did everything they possibly could to, you know, provide resources to us. But unfortunately, it was at the expense of not putting any specific individual in charge in a position of leadership that was focused 100% on the company. And um, I, I think all those things really came to a head for us. And it was I guess I could say it was the darkest time when I was looking into all the projects that we had to, to tackle uh, and having the confidence that we could get through it and that we had the right team, we could get there, but it wasn't going to happen overnight. And we just had to really dig deep, uh, believe in ourselves and understand that it was going to be a tough road. It was going to be multiple years of putting up, numbers that, uh, that, we, that weren't going to be ones uh, that the parent company was going to like, that we were going to have to do a lot of explaining for. Uh, and, and we had to stay on target. So we, we set some really aggressive goals and we 
you know, thank goodness we, we came through, we achieved those goals. We placed the back office systems. We redesigned and refreshed our partner program. Uh, we innovated as fast as we could to continue improving upon the 64 bit package to the point where we finally, uh, you know, brought to market something that was uh, truly better than the old package. Uh, it took time. It took a lot of years. And uh, just this year now, we're finally at the place where, uh, you know, I'm confidently releasing new additions to our, our flagship products that no one's ever seen before. That is truly un unique and uh, that brings a lot of value to our end users. And for many years, we've been, you know, continuing to update the, the product, just trying to get back to where we were with our 32 platform. And so that was, that was the darkest times. And I, you know, how we, how we did it, I really think it was, it was confidence in each other um, by building a better culture, by working together and getting through hard times. Every time we achieved another milestone, I think we, we built confidence internally that we were the team to do it. Um, our engineering team can can move mountains, and the sales team and and business development has you know done things that the engineering team couldn't believe we were able to do. So you know on every side, really achieving, um, and it's brought us closer together. And now everyone, you know, we laugh and and have uh, you know good stories about those those dark days. But when we were going through them, you know, it it was hard. So I think that's. That is by far the the lowest point. I think that uh, I'm really grateful we're we're through. <laughs> yeah, so. it doesn't kill you; it makes you stronger. And sometimes the only thing you 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 can focus on is survival, and just putting one uh, yeah. foot uh, ahead of the other and uh, and getting through that no man's land. And you never know when uh, the light will sh uh, shine up at the end of the tunnel. But uh, but definitely you are you are on on a great track. Uh, I was uh, shocked when we had the last meeting and I saw your numbers. Uh, you really did a, a fantastic job. So I look forward to that. And uh, listen, uh, it's been a very interesting uh, discussion. Um, so our listeners, if they would like to learn more about media cybernetics and your products, where can they uh, find information? Where can they find you? Maybe they want to reach out to you. Um, is there any place, a good place uh, to, uh, to find you? Well, they can find Media Cybernetics on our website. It's uh, mediacy.com, M-E-D-I-A-C-Y. Um, they can reach me. If they'd like to communicate directly uh, to my email, nbevers, uh, N-B-E-A-V-E-R-S, at mediacy.com. And they can catch me on LinkedIn as well. I'm linkedin.com slash in slash Nick Beavers. And uh, yeah, we'd be happy to talk to anybody about, you know, what they've heard today and uh, share even more if they're interested <laughs> or how we've, we've gotten through some of these times. Uh, thanks for having me, Steve. I really appreciate it. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks, Nick. Uh, uh, and that's our first interview in this series. Uh, so we are Professor Fraction and enjoyed uh, having you on the show. And stay tuned. There are more interviews coming up very soon. Have a nice day, everyone. Thank you, Nick, for joining us today. Take care. This was the ProfServe Traction Podcast with Steve Prada. To learn how your professional services or technology business could break through the ceiling with EOS, visit tractionequity.com.